0: Before I begin this episode, I'd like to offer a retraction and apology. In a previous episode in series three, I may have implied that Martin O'Bradley of Derry City Table Football Club was one of the more mature members of the of playing community. We all know that Martin is not a mature member of the of playing community. Okay, with that, on with the show. The great Aldous Huxley, writer of Brave New World, once said, the more powerful narration of a mind, the more it will incline towards the religion of solitude. For him, there was nothing wrong with being in the For him, it released the creativity he needed to come up with books like Eyeless and Gaza and his utopian classic, Island. For many within the Sabutian community, the lockdown brought on by the global coronavirus pandemic did little to change how they enjoyed the game. They carried on painting, collecting, possibly enjoying more time to do those things than they previously had. But for players, it was a different matter. Competition ceased, and clubs stopped meeting. But for solo players, there was little change. In this episode of Finger Flickin' Good, we go in search of the most mysterious species in the Savito landscape, the solo player. We'll find out why they play, how they play, and why more of us should park our prejudices and give it a go. All that and more coming up in this episode of Fender from Concord. Keep listening. When Subutio was first launched in the UK in the aftermath of the Second World War, it was initially introduced to the market as a child's game, an opportunity for kids to recreate association football on the tabletop, but over the years it has developed many different facets, most of which have been addressed by this podcast, painters, collectors and stadium builders. It tends to be forgotten about in all the Facebook posts, tweets and YouTube videos that are produced by the online community are those that play the game, that strange breed that actually play sabutio, or table football as it's more commonly known in these modern times. This final series of the podcast is dedicated to the people who play the game, and this first episode will concentrate on those who play the game on their own. All of our contributors, with the exception of one, are new voices to the podcast but will be well known by many within the community. I started by asking them if they'd always played the game on their own. First up is Phil Marsden, who runs a popular Facebook group, Subutio Alive and Flicking, and who is on Twitter as at Subuteo Alive.
1: Um, yes, but also played with um, friends and my granddad when I was a child. But in between playing with those, then, yeah, I used to play solo in between. I Probably I started playing in 1985. Probably I was about seven, I think then, seven years old. Found my dad's old set in the in the spare room, um, but then obviously parents aren't always available to play, and so then in between, whenever there wasn't someone to play with, I would I would just play on my own with it. Um, yeah, so so yes, yeah, so as a child, I started playing solo.
0: Sometimes family circumstances dictate in a way that makes playing solo unavoidable. Here's Carwin Toon, who can be found on Twitter as at Carwin Towen, explaining how he started young and continued into adulthood.
2: Yes, <laughs> is the short answer. Um, so I was brought up uh, five years younger than my older brother and um, spent perhaps a little bit more time than was healthy playing um, alone as a, as a little child um, and into my teens. So um, when we were given Sabutio, it was me that really took to it more than my brother. And I was pretty happy in my own company as a kid anyway. So given my sort of um, predisposition to to statistics and league tables and fixtures and things um, I was pretty happy playing solo and it was interesting actually listening to um, uh, another podcast on solo play and and it's it's like Marmite isn't it are are you in favor of solo or or dead against it I took to solo like a duck to water at age seven or eight and and that's continued um, to this day
0: Trevor Cowdery, who is on Twitter as Trevor, is another whose family circumstances meant that playing solo was his only real option.
3: Mainly, yes. Um, I started back in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, mainly through my three brothers, but my three brothers are six, eight and nine years older than me. So when I was four and five, they were thirteen and fourteen. and Didn't really want to play with me, or they was too good for me. Uh, so I ended up playing most of the time on my own, and they used to sort of join in and sort of play left-handed against me, which I didn't realise at the time. But it, it, it made it a bit more of a fair, fair contest, and improved their skills as well. Uh, 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 yeah. So from the early starts, I've, I have played um, solo. Confident person, uh, so that's probably one of the reasons why I play solo. I did have a close friend who I used to play with during the summer holidays and the occasional time after school where we used to get together and we used to play subito football, cricket, and uh, rugby. Um, it was the only it was the only game to play when I was kids. It's not like my two boys are now in their mid twenties when they've growing up. I, I tried subito with them. Uh, Got it for one Christmas and for about a month they, they loved it. We got they got about six or seven new teams, but then they soon went back to FIFA. But from my experience, it's it's always been Sabutio and sort of. Uh, and I really loved in, loved playing it back in back in the day and sort of, um, and just playing solo. Really, it was sort of good to have the uh, my own little leagues.
0: Some players in the community are well-known for their solo play. But they did not always start out that way. Here's Alan Crampton, who we last met in Series 2, talking about his impressive stadium build of Villa Park, explaining how he started down the solo play route.
4: Um, no, when I first... Um, I played a lot of solo. Um, but when I first got Mosabutio back in 71 it coincided with my mate having one for Christmas as well. And um, basically we played, I haven't played competitively um, as in a, a proper club um, or Subutio competitions or anything other than the ones that I made with, uh, with friends. Um, but um, the majority of the time, I it was always Subutio was always two player um, until I, got back into the game when I um, was a young 20 year old Um, and then I played a lot of solo stuff.
0: As someone who has played solo competitions, I always found the rules a major issue. To block flick or not, for example, should I play the Subutio Advanced 68 rules? Or even have some sort of handicapping system so that nominally stronger sides have an advantage at home or not? This was always a big question for me. For our four contributors, though, it's straightforward. House rules appear to be the order of the day. Here's Carwin Toewen explaining how his rules work.
2: Well, over the years... Um I've sort of developed a set of house rules, I suppose, that, that you know, grown really, really organically since the 1980s. Um, I'm not sure that I ever looked at the rules uh, on the box. If I did, then it was very much took a glance at it, then threw it over my shoulder. Um Although yeah, when when I was involved in in village leagues and things with 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 my mates, I think yes, we'd, we'd pay a little bit more attention to the rule book then. But but in solo play, um, it's it's generally um, you know following the the Sabutio conventions, but but with little twists. So for example, in. When it comes to corners and free kicks, I'll tend to move players into position. You know, I'll create a defensive wall, put a man on the back post, man on the front post to try and replicate what a corner situation or a free kick situation might look like in reality. So plenty of leeway there for for moving defenders and attackers. Um I play generally a six-a-side version what I do I bring the goals up to the d of the penalty area on the on a full pitch um so there's a little bit of um grey area there as to where the whole of the goal line is um you know and and the shooting area then is is the halfway line also you know what, one rule that I'm very proud of or one rule that I enjoy is is if a player makes contact with another with the opposition player and the opposition player falls to the ground um then i'm free to g- give a red card to the uh fouling member No, I'll, I'll i'll you know I'll leave that to interpretation you know if there's a little bit of contact with the ball um, you know do i just give a yellow card another one that's come in more recently with me if 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 there's a you know a, a foul that's a little bit dodgy i'll give a yellow card and then if if the same team committed a yellow card offence, no matter which player it was, then that would turn into a red card for that team. So the red and yellow card system I've, I've developed completely uh,
0: organically. Trevor Cowdery is another who has developed his own set of rules over the years.
3: I play mainly in my own house rules. Um, I, uh, I have adapted it slightly to bring in some new rules. But offside is still the same as back back in the day. I mean, as Brian Clough used to say, if he's not on, if he's if he's not on the if he's, if he's, not, uh, on, the, if, if he's on the pitch, he didn't to play because what? Well, so he's he's offside. Um, sorry, I think I have screwed that how, how to say that up, but sort of uh, I think you might know what I mean. Uh, but sort of he, yeah. So offsides are the same as back in the day. Um, uh, I kick off, I, I flick two players forward and I ha- hand move one player forward. So three players get moved forward. I usually put one in a striker position and the two it's by luck. Uh, three touches, fouls and handballs are if the player hits him. Um, yeah, I, I can't really think of any other rule changes that I've, I do, sort of. Um, uh, with the def- defence, I do, do do a defensive flick, but that's only when I'm playing a league or a cup match, and the league team is say ten points behind. So it gives an advantage to the teams at the top. But other than that, there's no de- no defensive flicks at all. Or if, if it's a cup match and they're a division lower, they get a defensive flick. If they're two divisions lower, they get two defensive flicks and that that sort of thing. but it's To be honest, I try to be fair as possible, and I do think, okay, he did touch him, but I play the advantage. And uh, sometimes it backfires, and I I screw up the advantage, and the other team go and score. uh, But yeah, my rules are house rules.
0: So it appears that house rules are the only way to go. Here's Alan Crampton with a particularly anarchist view of how people should enjoy their solo play.
4: I I developed house rules. Um, to be fair, um, as as you would expect, the is rules. So really, for two player game, um, and some of the some of the rules back from 1968. Um, set of rules. Um, to uh, to the differing rules we have now, the differing rules uh, rules that we have now. Um, I've I've just adapted my own. Um, I keep tweaking them from time to time. Um, I I don't know whether you uh, you saw my World Cup on the YouTube, um, but um, I adapted some rules um, for that, um, and uh, I just tweak it now and again. Um, I've got nothing against um, people trying to play um, any kind of rules that they want. Um, Basically it's solo. So you, you're playing, you're playing your own game uh, on your own pitch probably, and it's not affecting anybody else. And um, you set your rules to how you like, as far as I'm concerned to make it enjoyable for you.
0: Phil Marsden ended up developing his own house rules out of a mixture of nostalgia and necessity. If you like, you could call it Nostalgity.
1: Yes, so um, I just, when I got back into playing Subutio, um, I first of all thought, well, when I looked around, um, as an adult, all I could see was the fist of kind of play. So I downloaded those rules and started to play play with them, but it wasn't the Subutio that I remembered. And then I was uh, looking around and found uh, Keith Littler's Table Football Monthly YouTube and realised that even as adults, people were still playing it, as I did as a child. So I reverted back to that and I, I just enjoyed, enjoyed that side more. And then what, what I kind of realised is I was probably as a child playing like a hybrid of some 70s rules, some 60s rules and some 80s rules just because that's what I've been... Passed on to me from uh, my my dad and my granddad, and then just what I'd read in between. And um, so now I kind of play very much similar to Advanced uh, 68 rules. So there's there's minimal blocking. Only only three blocking flicks I will I will take. Um, and then I think apart from that, everything else is pretty much the same. I use the spur goalkeeper. A lot more probably than the advanced sixty eight rules and then I have like some some like little house rule kind of things which are probably borrowed from various Subutio rules over the over the years and, and additional little things I've played around with.
0: For some of our contributors, solo only means solo when the game is actually being played. For them, playing solo leagues and competitions might require others to play as well. This often adds another layer to their personal Subutio community. Here's Carwin Towen explaining how his Small Islands Cup competition, which he has played along with others throughout lockdown, works.
2: So during the first lockdown, there was the very successful Subutio Cup 2020, which was hosted, I think, on Twitter and and WhatsApp. Subutio Online was, was the... Uh, the main uh, protagonist behind that competition. That was very successful, of course, bringing lots of people together during the first lockdown. And after Sabutio 2020 came to an end, um, you know, various people went in different directions and some went to the sort of fantasy solo leagues. Others joined the, the I mean, one or two of us went to the Italian uh, group, the Salerno Sabutio Cup, who were doing some things during the lockdown um, and, and there was a there was a, a Europa League that was um, created as well. But af- after a couple of those competitions had died down, it, it fell to me to, to you know there was a group of us five or six having a chat. You know what should we do next? And during that chat, it was on WhatsApp, and I said, well, what about the Island Cup? Because previously, as a kid, I'd been up to Shetland um, a few times with my dad's work, and had happened to watch the 1985 Milne Cup match between Shetland and Orkney so from very early age i had this seed in my mind about the island games and and inter-island competitions and of course in wales we've got Ernest Morn, who uh have uh, who take part in those island games so it just came into my mind well what about an island games and and for whatever reason five or six others said yeah that's a really good idea so we set up um, or I set up the competition. There was originally six in the group and I allowed each of the players to nominate three islands each or three countries who, who were, you know, islands based nations. Um, so it was an 18 team tournament, um, six groups of three um, and then onwards into the into the semifinals, final, etc. Um, then subsequently, you know, this proved a hit and I wanted to have a second tournament. Um, and a third tournament and fourth tournament. And and by now I've reached we're in the you know at the time of speaking, tournament eight. And with each tournament, you know, between each tournament, I've gone back to the Atlas, gone back to the globe, and discovered new territories or researched, for example, Malaysia, um, which in tournament two I think that I included Sarawak. But then I found out was Malaysia has, you know, twenty other sets of islands, so they're all in there. So at the moment there's about eight hundred islands there are either island nations or territories you know like the falkland islands or shetland um or minor islands of mainland countries for example denmark finland sweden have their outlying islands um, some of them have regionalized for example sweden they've got far too many islands for me to include them all so i've grouped them into regions for example um so now yeah we're in the eighth running um of that tournament there's three of us who are really active um myself uh matt uh, 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 is it buddhist matt on twitter uh, and my own cousin jack in, in japan me, both me and matt have introduced jack to the art of so we've picked up a new player there there are two or three others i think who are lurking in the group but without contributing at the moment and we're always looking for for new players if, if anyone's interested so so that's been really interesting and it links to your previous podcast on mental health um I wanted, you know, a structure, uh, you know, from various activities, various things that would help myself through the, the, you know, the bitter lockdowns, I suppose, the winter. And I could see in this tournament a real structure, a chance to educate myself about the world. You know, I didn't know that, you know, Finland was a federal state or, you know, uh, or, or Malaysia. I didn't know where the Cocos Keeling Islands were. You know, and, and, and I've researched every corner of the globe. It's highlighted a lot of ignorance that had about the world and and, and the globe. And uh, so it's been a a sort of a light educational project as much as, uh, as the beauty of structure to keep things going.
0: For a league or cup to be as realistic as possible, there needs to be some form of handicapping system in play. Here's Phil Marsden explaining
1: how his system
0: incorporated elements from another football game.
1: Yes, so um, I, I have been experimenting with different things because I, I quite like the idea of, obviously, you're just playing in, on one table and everything. Um, so I quite like the idea of there's a there's, um, home and away, And then, you know, if you're playing like with real teams, whether it's past or, or current, that if you've got, say, AC Milan, because I, I, I started doing in um, a 90s, sorry, I've you've got AC Milan, and they were playing against um, Atalanta, there might be a difference between those back in the, back in the nineties. So I have been experimenting with the dice, a dice kind of method that I picked up from another member in, in a Facebook group that I I set up and then tied it in with, I'm going to might say this wrong, but I think it's Legata, is it? I think um, back from the seventies, which I discovered, which was a a dice based game for um, like a football dice based game. So, Played around with it a little bit, um, so on the home and away kind of front, and um, what I do with that is it's, it's dice. It all depends on how many points are in the league, but you just roll two dice, and it decides whether the home team gets an advantage or a disadvantage. And, and the way I've done it is, if if it goes successful and the the dice roll successful, and the other team when when I roll the dice for them doesn't counteract it, then it would mean a goal is get gets disallowed for the aware team at some point. So it's a bit like Dice VAR kind of thing. So you might score, but then the goal gets disallowed. But it's still not... I don't know if I'm going to stick with that. I will I will go back to the group and see if anyone's got other other ideas and things.
0: Trevor Cowdrey is another who tries to make his league as realistic as possible. But unlike Phil, who ran a Serie A league from the 90s, his league is a little more down to earth.
3: Okay. Um, It's mainly uh, lower league teams uh, uh, with likes of Forest Green, Shrewsbury, um, uh, Coventry, Luton, uh, Notts County. And um, it's just a basic three points for a win, one point for a draw. I have got a couple of fictitious teams, Melchester Rovers. If you're a kid from the 60s, 70s, you're... And you liked football, and you loved uh, Tiger and sculpture, then uh, Royal Rovers, so you had to have Melchester Rovers in. Uh, and yeah, the other fictitious team is Gateways Athletic. is It's based on where I live. I, uh, I call my stadium the uh, uh, Gateways Arena, so I just thought it was right to have a, a team uh, to fit the stadium as well. So that's why Gate the Gateways Arena were formed and, and painted by myself. Um, i also got a couple of non-league teams in there. Harlow Town from their 79-80 FA Cup run when they got, uh, beat Southend and Gary because uh, Leicester City and then played uh, and gave a, a good match against Watford who were in the top flight with Ross Jenkins and Luther Bliss out front and we lost 4-3. Uh, that was a great game and so it was a great memory for me and I just felt it was right that for me to paint my painting the Harlow team from that era also a bit more personal for me is that my PE teacher Paul Kitson was the goalkeeper so because I was heavily into sport and on most sport events I knew my PE teacher very well and we used to have quite a lot of chats about the FA Cup run about Harlow and as my dad wasn't very keen on me going to professional games on my own uh, due to the early 70s there's a lot of hooliganism and sort of a just didn't want he didn't want me there which at the time i didn't understand but i as a father now i fully understand so i went to harlow town so that is the reason and lucky enough we had that time where they won the uh, not one they had this fa cup uh giant killing run also i've got bishop stortford because if you're a harlow fan and you you want to have the local derby harlow stortford is only about six seven miles between the two uh, and it was a good t- time for the East, East Hearts border because Harlow had the FA Cup run and I think it was the following year uh, Bishop Stortford won the FA Trophy at Wembley. Um, so I, I painted those two teams and put those in. And then, <clears throat> yeah, so I've got that. that, that they are. I've got um, 16 teams. Uh, uh, the idea was so I could have a cup as well. But then while I was in there, I decided to... Uh, do a cup competition as well. And uh, and I had to have, I, I thought of, right, let's bring some uh, non league, <laughs> I say non league, I've already got non league, I'll bring in some other lower league teams in it and have a preliminary round to get them in. So I had uh, Kingstonian, Barnet, Scunthorpe, and uh, the other team uh, the other teams have gone for me at the moment, but uh, I had eight teams in then uh, the bottom. Then I had, when it got to the uh, the, the, the final two, they played the bottom two in my league to see who came in. Unfortunately, the two teams in my league beat beat the preliminary Round team, so it ended up as a straight sixteen from my league in the cup. Uh, and I'm halfway through that at the moment. That's um, mainly because uh, time um, work has become very very busy, and also I love I love watching uh, most sport, and with the Olympics on, with the Euros on. Um, just finding time to go out there and and, and play has been uh, a bit been a bit difficult. Trying to be fair to the wife as well because whatever sort of, uh, she doesn't want to see, see me watching all the Olympics or watching all the uh, Euros and, or the test matches and the hundred, and then okay, that's finished. I'm going to, going out in the uh, annex to play but <laughs> It's just not fair. So that's the reason it's on hold at the moment. But I'll I'll get back to it. But yeah, but it's basic, on my basic rules, 16 teams, play each other home and life. I think I'm about 11 or 12 games in and uh, done the first round of the cup.
0: Alan Crampton doesn't play solo Subutio in half measures. Through his website, com, he has run many solo tournaments, posting results, match reports, photographs and even match highlights on video. Earlier this year, he ran a very popular and ambitious Subutio World Cup that even had a qualifying competition beforehand. Here he is telling us how it was all worked out.
4: Yes, yeah. Um, Basically, I had, um, obviously, as you know, I've got a website and um, I get the analytics from that um, and I can see where the hits are coming from, what countries the hits are coming from. So I thought that I would use that first of all as a um, as a as the league as the points league um, for um, for the countries um, and obviously the highest twenty four countries um, qualified for the World Cup automatically and uh, and then the, all the other countries within uh, the, the tournament. I think there was another. Um, ooh, I'm trying to think. It was about eighteen teams. Um, played in a knockout to um, to get the uh, the last six in the World Cup.
0: Having a qualifying tournament takes solo competition to a new level. So I asked Alan if this had led to it taking longer than he had initially planned.
4: Started the qualifying games in the November, and um, I finished the actual World Cup um, in February. So, um, and uh, the actual World Cup tournament, I played um, three or four games nearly every night, and obviously until the um, the amount of teams in the competition dwindled a little bit. But I did it in the same format as the uh, the World Cup in Russia.
0: Having played a short solo cup competition earlier in the year, I can say, in all honesty, that it's quite easy to ensure impartiality, despite what others might say. And if you have a clearly defined set of rules, then the game does not favour one team over another. Here's Alan Crampton again, explaining how he was relieved to some extent when his rules worked and, spoiler alert, England didn't win his World Cup.
4: Uh, I was absolutely gutted that day they lost. Um, It was, my fear initially was, I hope England don't go and win this. Because everybody's going to be saying, oh, he's fixed it, you know. But which is why I started to put them on YouTube so people could see, you know, how passionate I was for it. The the teams that I was actually playing with. And, um, you know, and it was great to have teams like Singapore in the competition and Malta. um, Countries that are never going to be in it um, for real. Um, coming up against the lights of Italy and Portugal and stuff and um, uh, and for Australia to make the final as well um, it's not going to happen for, in re- reality is it and that adds to the um to the little fantasy as well and yeah so I mean as, as gutted as I was um, that England lost uh, the semi-final against the eventual winners Portugal it was um, um a, a couple of days later I'm going well I think Thankfully, they are out because now I can't be accused of cheating.
0: (laughs) As a child, however, it's not that easy. Here's Trevor Cowdery remembering an incident from his childhood and in particular a comment from his father that has remained with him to this day.
3: I remember um, doing one league and uh, I I showed my dad because I was sort of uh, always looked up to my dad like most kids do at that age and uh done this uh um about uh, I, i used to do about 10 leagues of uh sorry four leagues of 10 and uh at that time my dad used to support west ham so uh west ham won the league and he turned around to me and said did you do that fairly i mean what do you mean well west ham won i support west ham you like West Ham. Did that did they win that because of that? I went, Yeah. So you cheated. I went, Well, not really. <laughs> you cheated. So what's the point of playing if you know the outcome? It's pointless playing. Go out and enjoy it and just play. If they win it, it's even better. If they don't win it, you've had a good fun. And that, that line has that stayed with me for the rest of my life, don't cheat and uh yeah that's all good
0: from talking to our contributors some things are clear they all love subutio they all love football and they all have a highly developed sense of imagination and it's this opportunity to unleash the creative side of their personalities that i believe motivates them to play these ambitious and adventurous solo competitions Here's Alan Crampton talking about how it allows for a combination of fantasy and creativity within the sphere of table football.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the stadium I'm building um, has developed from that because uh, obviously at the photographs I was taking, um, it's, its you're like a little kid in your own little fantasy world, aren't you? And um, Well, I certainly am and um it was always my ambition um to make it as as real as possible uh, and obviously as you get older and you're working then you have a bit of free time um especially with the, the lockdown you get more free time and um you, you, you your imagination you, you basically my imagination went back to my uh my um well, from my eight year at eight years of age uh, onwards i think and um it just spiralled and um, you know, I I just love that creative side. Um, I I consider myself to be a bit of creative person anyway. And the whole thing is just a fantasy, isn't it? And um, you know, I love that. And it's, it's going to take me into my retirement and I should be, I should be playing when I can't even see the ball without binoculars.
0: (laughs) Phil Marsden, on the other hand, Finds the whole setting up of a league a mixture of creativity and nostalgia for earlier, less complicated times.
1: Because there's definitely that nostalgia side to it as well. Like, so first of all, when I found it, found out you could get hand painted teams because I didn't even know that until I, I think I saw it on maybe Table Football Monthly, and then got into some of the groups on Facebook and saw people getting teams on Instagram, and 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 somebody was doing like a world club tournament and they had all these great looking teams and I thought well they're not what you used you know what you buy whether they're lightweights or heavyweights he's getting them from somewhere else and I found out where he was getting those from um, and I was just getting odd teams at first but then I thought right I need to have a bit of a focus here of what to get you now like your options are unlimited it becomes like well, what the heck do you get um so for me like growing up um as a youngster and um so I like when Serie A come on in on Channel 4 I used to watch that all the time so I focused kind of on that and then I thought right I'm going to get 90s Serie A teams and a new league so then there's the whole nostalgia behind that and you remember all the great players and you know the teams and the and the kits and the memories you have as a kid from watching that and and then when you post about it you get other people commenting going oh do you remember what what great squads those those teams have And forgot how many you know, great players used to play. And like I did a video using the actual intro from when it used to come on TV. And, you know, so that, that sparks nostalgia and memories. So it definitely is is that side to it. And, then it. and then it sparks memories for other people who then come into it. Like you said, sometimes they're not even into Subutio. I think I got someone from Atalanta who's a fan page on Twitter, reposted one of my things because I'd, I'd posted Subutio and I think like, you know, it's obviously Canadian and people like that played for Atlanta back in back in the nineties and stuff. So so yeah, you definitely do get a wider people and just the whole nostalgia to it as well, picking up on it.
0: Having just played his Italian league, Phil is looking to branch out and he sees the possibilities as endless. But for him, the fun is not just on the playing surface. It can also be found away from all of the flicking.
1: Um but yeah, I think there's just there's just so much to it. On the solo side, as I say, and, you know, like right now, I'm thinking of doing an English league, so I'm researching what kits do I want for the English, English league and then, you know, sorting that out. And um, so I th- just think it adds, gives you so much to the hobby, doesn't it, for, for if you're doing that kind of thing. Um,
0: like any aspect of the Sabuja community, there are going to be upsides and downsides to solo play. For solo play, you might think they seem obvious, but you may be surprised. Here's Trevor Cowdry talking about what he sees as the upside to playing the game
3: on your own. Uh, for me, I'm very, very introverted. I don't. I, I, if I have to, to if, I, if I'm in a group of too many people, I just go into the background. A bit like that song. You always find me in the kitchen at parties. That's me. I just don't like being at the front. I, I'm not a. I did going back to, to when I played in the 70s. Uh, the person, I, the boy I played with during the summer holidays, Mike. Uh, he he said we got a li- li- we've been invited to go into a league. I said all right then let's do it. We did it. He came third and I come fourth out of uh, 16 people. So we 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 were pretty good. But I just did not like it. I just didn't like being part of too many people. So that's why I prefer playing on my own uh, because I can be me. I don't have to put on this thing where I don't know. I just, I'm just not confident with a lot of people around me. It's, I'm very, very shy. I can talk like I am now easily and, and about what I do, but, It's like the the Subutio Fest. I don't know if it's coming up or it's been cancelled. I can't remember sort of thing. There's one in October, I think. And the one in what's just happened, I assume, happened in July. I'm not sure. But sort of if I went along, I'll be nervous outside and I'll probably end up not going in because there's too many people and I just don't like it. Um, Yeah, so that's to me is the plus side because I can just be me and I don't have to sort of... uh, not be me sort of thing. And you think, I don't like being watched. If I want to do something, I just want to go along and play. I want to do things. And I want to do my own commentaries. It's like sort of uh, when I'm playing the games, I try to remember, or oh, I've got listed down players from that squad from the 70s where I've got it. Okay, well, I've got Forest Green now. I have got a squad. So I've got a squad from when they came up into the football league. And the uh, same Shrewsbury, uh, I've got the squad when they beat uh, Everton in the Cup. So I've got, i pick squads for whatever they have. And it's the uh, like the home internationals. It's for always, for, it's from the 77, 78 season. The Jubilee kit, uh, the Jubilee set actually, what's the beauty bought out. So the Kevin Keegans, the Trevor Brookings, uh, Ray Clements, Peter Shilton's. So it's all uh, probably our worst time as a country, actually, because we didn't qualify for the... Uh, World Cup so uh, yes I like doing my commentaries saying whoever's on the ball and if I was in if I had people in there I couldn't do it I'd be doing it in my head but sort of no I I, 100% for my solo play and I don't have to sort of uh, talk to people
0: For Phil Marsden the upside to solo play has been the creation of something specifically for him and how it allows him time away from the stresses of real life.
1: Yes yeah, so the upside for me playing solo is especially when I, well, when I was a child um I just loved I loved Scrabble it was the thing that I really got got into and um I kept all my stuff back from then and so obviously every Wednesday I used to go to my granddad's and I used to play with my granddad every Wednesday I would play with friends probably on the weekend if we, if it was not you know, nice outside, even sometimes if it was nice, we'd still we'd still come in and, and, and have a game of Subutio. But it was the time in between. It was like so this was before computer games and, and and the like. So in between I used to play solo. So it gave me it meant if I played solo I could play Subutio more than just waiting for when friends or family were available. Uh, returning as an adult, it's very, very similar uh, thing really because for me, it's become like kind of my time, a hobby away from my work, um, you know, every everyday life and, and, and me creating some time for me, which is what I've often neglected. My wife works in mental health and, and, and she talks a lot about, you know, having your own self-care time. So for me, solo play allows me to play when I want to play. I don't have to wait when a friend's available or, you know, I've got two sons, but they're not overly Overly keen in it, the the seven and eleven years old, they'll play the odd odd little game. But it's, if it's ten o'clock at night and I've got, I think, oh, I've got half an hour, I can I can have a game of, of solo. So for me, it's just the ease and availability of it, and it gives me something I can do away from work um, as a as a hobby, really.
0: Halin Crampton, on the other hand, has a much more straightforward opinion of why solo play is so good.
4: Um, uh, well, basically, it gives me an opportunity to play more often. <laughs> um, as uh, you know, as, especially with um, with the lockdown, um, thankfully, now we're coming out of, um, I didn't have an opportunity to play with anybody. The wife's not interested. Um, my son's uh, the, the son that lives here isn't uh, interested. Um, I have two boys um, from a previous marriage, um, but one's in Skegness, one's in Birmingham. So uh, I don't get the opportunity um, to play with them at all, to be fair. so uh, um, But uh, yeah, I do like playing on my own. But um, as far as I'm concerned, you can't... I don't think you can beat actually playing against somebody else with a good old-fashioned 68 rules. Um, that would be my dream. And hopefully... Um, I've, uh, I'm actually meeting up with uh, a guy called Mark Craddock, who lives in um, who lives in the in Brackley, which is just down the road from me here. And um, uh, we're having a coffee together and uh, getting their heads together to see um, to see what we can come up with in terms of playing more regularly and stuff. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm all for um, a, you know, a uh, playing with other people. Um, it's just you don't get the opportunity so much. Um, there's no clubs around here it may, I have to travel about 50, 50 miles so that makes a 100 mile round trip just to just to play and um, and most of them also are for the um, the new um, the new rules with the flat bases um, and although I've got nothing against that either I, I enjoy playing um, solo uh, occasionally with those figures and bases but um, for me you still can't beat the old um your old
0: heavyweights. Carwin Towen, however, sees both advantages and disadvantages to playing Sabutio on your own. The upside is it's completely um flexible. You know, you
2: make your own um, rules, you make your own competition, and nobody can judge you for what you're doing. You know, it's it's, it's each to their own. And going back again to your previous podcast on on mental health and and with reference to one of the speakers in particular there's no question in my mind um, that Subutio being able to escape to Subutio sometimes was a factor in how I coped with um, a difficult situation at home with with my parents I won't go into it too deeply but um looking back a comfort blanket there at age you know uh ten eleven twelve thirteen when when things were were kicking off a little bit at home, so yeah, that sense of escapism um uh, and and fantasy that I think we all need, i suppose you know um and then c- coming then into into lockdown then again being able to s- create a structure this is what i enjoy doing this is what i'm going to do if anyone wants to join me and 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 uh, you know luckily a few people did then that's well and good it but it doesn't matter it's not dependent on anyone else in terms of the downside i think with any solo hobby and i would include geocaching in this i'm, I'm quite a fan of geocaching and um, i think the danger with any solo hobby is that you can um you know there is that danger of loneliness you know spending too much time on your on your your own which i probably did i think as a kid rather than you know socializing uh, a little bit more um so that there is that danger of course of becoming introspective um uh, etc you know i'm not a qualified psychologist so i won't go too far down for that but i think it's that it's having that good balance, I think, of of keeping your own company, being happy in your own company, but also keeping in touch with, with the wider world.
0: After hearing Carwin, I wondered then if any of the others had reservations about their solo play. Phil Marsden recognised that in an ideal world, he would probably like to do something else.
1: Yeah, um, I suppose there is that, that side of it. I just, for me the the whole club side with my job a lot of it is evenings and then the evenings when I'm not working it's because I've took the time away so I can take my sons to their their activities that that they're in football rugby etc so I would find it really hard to get to to a kind of club anywhere me and my friend are gonna try to organize a meet up so we will we will meet up and and have a game because he's got back into it as well but again just because of life and and kids it's not going to be a regular we're going to aim for once a month at first and then and then see see from there how it how it goes but the downside is yeah you're not playing with other people and meeting other people but i kind of get that connection through the community side of it so whether it's through twitter the facebook group i've set up my instagram account um you know i've, I've chatted and with a lot of, of great people in the community that way and you, you're sharing photos and ideas so, you know, you do get that connection there. So you're not completely isolated away from people in the same hobby.
0: Trevor Cowdery, however, saw no downsides whatsoever and was unequivocal in his advocacy of solo play.
3: M- me personally, no. I-, I-, I love solo play and I I, I wouldn't even consider now I wouldn't even consider joining a club because I don't don't want to uh play against other people. I, I there's so many different rules and I don't like confrontation. Um I and I I haven't got a uh competitive bone in my body. I just want to have fun and enjoy and put a smile on my face and I can do that playing solo and if I'm If I'm sort of playing with other people, I just clam up because people are watching me. don't like it.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this whistle-stop tour around the world of solo Subutio play. It's an aspect of the community that intrigues me and one with which I have some connection, having run solo competitions in the past during lockdown. At the same time, I feel it's often a misunderstood aspect of the community which often comes in for some unfair criticism. I hope, therefore, that this episode has gone some way to presenting it in a more positive light. In the next episode, we'll be looking at a completely different aspect of playing the game. Next time on the podcast, we'll find out what it's like to be a club player. So if you don't want to miss the show, then subscribe to Finger Flickin' Good on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finger flicking, Good is a near production. It's written and presented by me, Derek Hare, with contributions from Trevor Cowdery, Alan Crampton, Phil Marsden and Carlin Turwin. The theme music is Drive, it's written and produced specially for the programme by Campbell Ayer and The Creature Appeal. Check them out on Apple Music, Amazon Music and Spotify.